Well, good morning. Morning. I got to give, uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. I got to give John some kudos because I don't know how you've gotten through that song without like dancing up here while you're waiting because it was going and I'm, man, it's so happy. I just want to start dancing. But uh, like John said, my name's Ben. Um, I have the, the privilege of serving here as production lead and um, I'm, I'm honored and privileged to, to be bringing the word to you today. Um, we're in the middle of a series called How to Manage. And we've been talking about some, some very crucial and, and awesome things through this series. Uh, we've talked about how to manage your time. And as John said, uh, we have Financial Peace University, which my wife and I have signed up for. So if you want to get to know us better, you can come to Financial Peace University. And um, anyway, that week we talked about how to manage your money. We got a lot of practical teaching there of, of godly principles on how to manage your money. And this week we're going to talk about how to manage relationships. Raise your hand if you know any person at all. Okay. I saw a couple of hands that didn't come up, so I don't know what's going on with you, but everybody has relationships in their lives. Good, bad, or indifferent, no matter how much we love someone or, or how much we, we tolerate someone, we have, we all have relationships in our life. And I, for one, have been, been very, very blessed. Um, I have a great relationship with my parents. They're, they're here today. Um, learned a lot from them. My dad taught me a lot about how to have a strong work ethic and how to treat people with respect and integrity. And my mom taught me how to have compassion with people and how to be kind and how to love people. And it just flows from both of them. And I've just been so blessed to have that. And I also have a brother who's, who's not here today. And in between the times where we were wrestling and rolling around on the floor, he taught me a lot. He took me under his wing as, as my older brother and, and taught me a lot of stuff. And I showed him how he could better lose at Madden. So that was my contributing gift to my brother. Um, <laughs> Because usually he'd come to our apartment when we lived in Salisbury, and every time we played, I beat him. And every time he came over anywhere else, I'd, I'd always win, and he just got to where he just quit playing me. So it's probably for the best. Um, but beyond that, I'm married to a, a wonderful woman named Lauren, who is also here today. And um, we got married back in 2010, September 4th. Now, guys, if you can remember details like that, it takes you a long way. Because we are talking about how to manage relationships. I'm just trying to help you out here. But we got married on September 4, 2010, and I learned something new from her every day. I mean, she's constantly teaching me patience and grace and things like that because it takes so much patience and so much grace to be married to me. I'm just saying it does. So she's taught me so much, and we've got a lot of friends. We went to school right down the road at, at Pfeiffer, and if you've ever driven through there, if you blink, you're going to miss it. So if you drive through, you have to you know, take the time to look around. It's a beautiful campus. But um, we've got a lot of good friends there and, and a lot of good, strong relationships. And, and I say all that, and you're like, all right, this guy's got a lot of good relationships, so I should listen to him because, you know, he has all these strong relationships. Well, that's not always the case because, like I said, growing up, I had a brother. Obviously, we fought some. Obviously, you have disagreements and things like that. And, and we all have conflicts in our lives. We all have a lot of relationships that, that we struggle to, to keep together, and we, we struggle to know what's going on. And this is an area where um, Jesus has a lot in common with us. And today, we're going to be in, in Matthew 22. We're going to be reading about a situation where Jesus had to, to manage some relationships in his life. Because, see, one thing that we kind of overlook when we think about Jesus is Jesus traveled all over the place with 12 other dudes. All right? Now, I said it takes a lot of patience and grace to be married to me. I can't imagine somebody having to travel with 12 other dudes all the time. 
Because you know there's going to be conflict. You know there's going to be loud noises and foul smells. And there's going to be a lot of things that, that you're just like, man, we just can't get along right now. And so Jesus had a lot to manage there because he was leading the disciples. And Jesus had a lot to manage in his family because Jesus was traveling and, and you know, his mother and father, they knew his purpose. And so they knew that, that Jesus was here for a short time and they knew eventually they were going to have to say goodbye to their son. So I'm sure that was not an easy thing for them to, to work through. And um, Jesus also had, at, at this time, um, to give you a little backstory of, of that time period, there was a lot of political unrest. There was a lot of unrest between um, different countries and things like that. And there was one massive superpower called Rome. And everything kind of funneled through Rome. And it just caused a lot of unrest. And, and there were two people groups that we're going to talk about today. And the best way to remember them is a really bad preacher joke that John Allen told me. And um, there's, there's two groups of people. And one is the Pharisees, but they're not fair, you see. And the other is the Sadducees, but they're so sad, you see. Thanks, thanks for the uh, couple of giggles. It makes him feel a lot better. I warned you it was bad. I'm, I'm just putting that out there. That wasn't mine. That was, I can't take credit for that. But anyway, uh, like I said, we're going to talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees. And in all seriousness, uh, some things between them is, is these two groups were at constant conflict with each other because they were on polar opposites on so many things. On some things, they may have been similar, but there were a lot of things that were different. See, the Sadducees were a very wealthy group. And so the thing with the Sadducees is, is because of that wealth, they were able to, to work their way into politics. And they were much more concerned with politics than they were with religion or, or with what Jesus was doing or anything like that. But they were really strong into politics. And at that time in the, in the high council, um, not only did they have a lot of influence, but there were multiple high priests that were Sadducees. And the chief priest was a Sadducee. So they had a lot of power. But because they were so wealthy and because they had so much political sway, like I said, Rome is a superpower. So pretty much anything Rome said they were going to do, the Sadducees were like, okay, you're big and bad. That sounds good. So a lot of people didn't care for them because they said, you know, we don't really have a voice for us. We have a voice that tells us what Rome wants to do. And so then there were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were more middle-class businessmen. So they related a lot better with, with the normal people of the time. And the Pharisees also had something that was really different. They had a really, really strong tie to the law. And so with that, um, you had a lot of Pharisees that were lawyers. And you had a lot of Pharisees that would just staunchly excuse me, defend the law. And um, another thing about them is they didn't have as many seats in the council. But since they were so well revered among people, they got to make a lot of the big decisions because they were able to push things through. But in Matthew uh, 22, Jesus, um, Jesus had, had just had a, a big interaction with the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees come to him. So let's go ahead and read that uh, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? See, in verse 34, we see that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, one thing I just said about the Sadducees is they were very wealthy and they were political. Now, I don't know about you, but following politicians, if you can silence a politician, 
I mean, you must, you must have really answered those questions extremely well. Because no matter where you stand on Donald Trump, but if you think about him, I've never seen that man silence. That man talks in his sleep. There's just no way he does. And so to, to say something to a politician that silences him, the Pharisees are looking at this, and they're like, this guy silenced the Sadducees. Silenced them. And we're at odds with them. How cool would it be if we were the ones that could silence the guy that silenced the Sadducees? So the Pharisees there, they, they get together and, and they're all together and they come up with a plan. And so they all go together and they talk to Jesus and they select this guy, this, this really bright lawyer. And they say, all right, here's our plan. We're going to have this guy. He practices the law. He's a lawyer. His strength is in the courtroom. So we're going to try Jesus. We're going to essentially put Jesus on trial here, and we're going to ask him a series of questions that's, that's going to confuse him a little bit, and, and we're going to bring in to question his judgment, and we're going to discredit him. Well, what they didn't realize, for someone who knew so much about the law, was they weren't questioning just any guy. They were questioning the guy who wrote the law. I mean, about this. They were questioning Jesus. They weren't questioning just a guy that, that had a blog and a couple of ideas about things going on. No, they were questioning Jesus. So right here, in verse 36, he had asked, what is the great commandment of the law? He's trying to confuse him. He's trying to get him to say, well, one of the Ten Commandments, or, or give him one of the other commands that are in there, or, or some aspect of the law. And instead of doing that, Jesus goes a different direction in verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So right here, Jesus, they were expecting him to go this direction and say, It's, it's this command, this is it. And they'd say, well, well, he clearly likes that, so he ignores all this. But he doesn't do that. He says, Love the Lord your God. Now, Jesus is saying this to a group of people that eat, sleep, and breathe the law. Everything they do is about the law. And so, for them to hear that instead of it's this one commandment, it's love the Lord your God, that kind of has to work on them a little bit. They have to think about that, and they're like, huh, that's a curveball. I wasn't expecting that. But Jesus continues in verse 39. He keeps going with it. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, something I didn't tell you about the Pharisees yet is the Pharisees thought that they were a superior group of people. So when you're telling somebody that you have to love your neighbor as you love yourself, now, we love us some us. I mean, we live in America. America is a country where a lot of, I mean, we have a lot of love for ourselves. But you're talking about people that not only have love for themselves, but they also think that they are superior. And you're telling that person, look, this guy that's lesser than you, you've got to love him as you love yourself. So as much as you love yourself, as, as, as prideful as you are, as boastful as you are, and, and all of that that you have for yourself... You've got to put all that aside, and you have to truly love yourself. But not only that, you have to love that guy just as much, this neighbor that you have. And, and your neighbor was anyone you were near, so they would come into contact with people that, like I said, they thought they were lesser than them, and they had to love the Sadducees. 
who they were in conflict, conflict with as they loved themselves. So this is a serious punch in the gut here. And in verse 40, Jesus keeps going. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, you can't manage relationships without love. And the reason Jesus put love as the center is, is love is the one thing that everything hinges on. And right here with the law, Jesus is saying that, you know, you've got all your commands and you've got everything in the law, but if you just have love, then everything in the law will flow from that. And everything in your life will flow from that. And today what I want to do is, is there's a couple of, or three, some people call a couple two, but a couple three. Um, I have three things about love, three virtues of love that I want to talk about today. And the first is that love demonstrates. When I was younger, um, I had a grandmother, and we called her Grancy. And Grancy, I was, I was really close with her. She was a great woman. And um, when we were really young, if you said, hey, Grancy, I love you, she'd stop what she was doing, she'd put it down, she'd kind of crinkle her face a little bit, and she'd say, prove it. And so you had to think about it, because you're like, how am I going to prove that I love you? Like, how does this work? So you had to think of, of a, and, and when you're a kid, the grandest gesture you can think of is, I'm going to get up, run over there, and give her a huge hug. So that's what we'd do. We'd get up and we'd give her a huge hug. And thankfully, Grancy was a very tough woman because we'd hug her with everything we had because that's how much we loved her, because that's how we demonstrated our love for her. And in the Bible, in, in the book of Colossians, we have... Um, Paul is writing a church to this church of a place called Colossae. Say that three times fast. But Colossae um, is an area that, that I said, you know, you can't manage relationships without love. And, and what, what this, these people have is, is when you get a letter from Paul, it means you're doing some things good, but there's something you're just not quite getting right. And love was it for them. And so he, he wrote this letter to them to try to give them some rules for holy living and to try to, to give them some ideas of, of things they need to do. And earlier in the chapter, Paul's talking about some of the things you're doing. He's like, look, you've got anger in your hearts. You've got jealousy in your hearts. You've got greed in your hearts. You're saying all these slanderous, bad, wrong things about your brother because you're, you're prideful and all these things are going on. And so in, in Colossians 3 and verse 12, Paul starts to give them some qualities that they need to put on. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see what Paul is saying there is it's, it's not good enough to just stop hating your brother or to stop having anger towards your brother. He's saying, no, you have to put all those things on and you have to put on these qualities. And I know for a lot of us, my, myself included, when, when we were getting ready for church this morning, we kind of stood in front of the closet and wondered, what on earth am I going to wear? What am I going to put on today? Because what we wear makes a statement. And so when, when what Paul is talking about here is these things that you're putting on is making a statement. So if you're going into a job interview, your statement should be, I'm well-dressed, I'm put together, you're not going to go into a job interview with 
the shirt you just painted with last week and the shorts with about 15 holes and flip-flops. You can, I'm not gonna promise that's gonna go well for you, but you can do that if you really wanted to. No, you're gonna, you're gonna dress the part. You're gonna let what you're wearing show where you are and where you wanna be. And that's what these, these qualities do here. And so Paul is telling them, let love make the statement. Instead of saying all these bad things, because something that, that I, I came across as I was working on this message was that um, came from this, and I, and I want you to write this down if you can. You never look good when you're trying to make someone else look bad. Never. And in our relationships, like I said, we're going to have some relationships where you just can't seem to get along with someone. And, and for whatever reason, you just, everything is, is, is falling apart and, and you just can't really find out why, but you have to, what you have to do here is, like Paul said, you have to put these things on and let love be demonstrated through your actions. Next thing about love is, is love unites. Love unites. You see, a lot of times when we're going through struggles with someone, we're way over here, and, and the person isn't right here. I mean, they're way over there somewhere, and, and we're nowhere near close, and we both have our backs turned to each other, and we, we can't seem to find any resolution. And we think, you know, if, if they could just see things my way, and, and we could just meet in the middle. But the thing is, meeting in the middle is a myth, because you're not going to do that. What has to happen is you have to say, you know what, enough is enough. I love you. I care about you. I forgive you. And you come over to where they are, and they may not be ready yet, and this may take some time, and it's not going to be easy. But if you start showing that person that you love them, you start showing that person grace and compassion, then what will slowly happen is they'll see, hey, look, I still don't know if I forgive them or not, but they're at least making an effort. They're trying to get better and trying to get better. And what happens is that person will come this way because you'll be pulling them with you, and that's when you wind up in the middle because you've, you've made the effort, the person has seen the effort, and seen that love, and that's where it comes through. Every relationship that we've ever been in has somebody with influence and someone who's being influenced. Because two people cannot spend any amount of time together and not rub off on the other person in, in some way. And whether it's positive or negative, we're all either influenced or we're influencing. And see, with when I say love unites, what I mean is we have to ask ourselves a serious question. Are we a person who unites or are we a person who divides? Love unites. So if we treat people with love, we're, we're not driving wedges in between us and other people. We're showing them love. We're showing them grace. We're putting on patience and all the things that Paul talked about there. We're putting on all those qualities. That's what we're putting on. That's what people see, and that's who we are. It's a big, it just becomes such a positive thing in our DNA. And finally, the last quality I want to talk about is love gives. See, a couple of years ago, Lauren and I were renting a house, and we decided, you know what? It's, it's, it's time for us to buy a house. 
So we started the process, and if you've ever bought a house, you don't just kind of flip a coin and go there and move in. That's a big process. So, you know, we decided, all right, we're going to buy a house. And, and so we found this house that we, we really liked. And um, so we're like, you know what? We're going to put an offer in. The offer was accepted, and we moved in the house. Now, when we looked at the house, and after we moved into the house, there was, there was one thing about I really liked the house, but there was one thing that, that was a little off. There was this tree in the front yard, and it grew up just like this, and it split. Now, the split to the left was perfect. I mean, it went up, it had leaves, everything on the tree just looked amazing. And the split to the right was like the ugly duckling. Every branch on it was dead. There was not a single leaf on it. I mean, that thing was dead. I was scared if I walked by it and sneezed, it was going to fall. That's how dead it was. And so from looking at it, we knew that tree's got to come down. Because otherwise, the dead part's going to fall on the house, or it's going to fall on the power line, or it's going to fall on the carport, or it's going to fall on somebody walking by, and that's not good. So we're like, man, we've really got to cut this tree down. But we just spent all this money buying the house. And so, you know, I, I was talking to my dad one day, and I said, hey, dad, yeah, we got, we like the house. We decided to put an offer in. That's good. We bought it. That's good. But, uh, you know that tree in the front yard? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I know that tree. I know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I think we're going to pay somebody to, to come cut it down. And dad's like, you're going to pay somebody? I said, yeah. He said, with what money? I'm like, we haven't gotten that far yet. But we're going to pay somebody because this tree has to come down. Because when you love something, you're thankful for it. And we were very thankful for our house, and we didn't want anything to happen to it. But my dad said, you know what? This is where my dad said love gives, because he said, I'm going to come over and bring my chainsaw, because he knew I didn't have one. If I had a chainsaw, I'd be short a limb or something myself. And so, oh, pun intended, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I digress. We realized that this tree had to come down. We didn't have the money to do it. My dad said, look, I'm going to give of my time. I'm going to come over there and help you. And I've done a lot of projects with my dad. My dad's very, when I say I got my work ethic from my dad, I literally think there's nothing that my dad cannot do or cannot fix. And so I knew that. And so when I called him and he said that, I'm like, sweet, we're going to knock this thing out in no time. It's going to be good. But we started to work on the tree and we realized the way this thing's leaning this might be a problem. So we put the rope up there, and we're not professional tree cutters by any stretch of the imagination. But we have it cut down, and it's, it's not a very reassuring sound when you hear a chainsaw crank, and you see your dad, and he, and he yells at you over his shoulder. He says, you got insurance on the house, don't you, right? And just goes into the tree. So needless to say, there was a lot of prayer going on that day. But my dad gave love because he showed us. He said, you know what? I'm busy. My parents live on a farm, so they have a lot going on with that. But he said, I'm going to give of my time to come over there because I know you can't afford to, to cut it down, and I want to spend that time with you to cut it down. And it reminds me, this is a perfect segue talking about trees, of my favorite book. Now, I know I'm going to get some flack from this because I'm a grown man, and my favorite book is a kid's book. No shame in that. But, I'm just saying, but my favorite book is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Now, this is a very complicated book. It's very hard to understand. This book is about a tree and a boy. It's not complicated, is it? 
It's a very simple book, but that's okay because I'm a very simple guy. So I understand this book. And, and the cool thing about this book that, that I love so much is this book is all about love because the tree is always there for the boy and the boy always comes back to the tree. And you see, in this book, love is demonstrated. The, the tree demonstrates love because it says, you know what, boy, I love when you come around. I love spending time with you. And in this book, love unites the tree and the boy because the boy comes to the tree and the tree says, boy, come, come, swing, on, come swing on my branches. Come gather my leaves and, and put them on your head and wear them like a crown and, and come eat my apples and, and just let's stay together for a while. And finally, love gives. You see in this book, the tree literally gives everything it has to the boy. The, the first thing the, the boy needs is he just needs to play. So he plays with the tree, and the tree's happy. And then next, some time passes, and, and the boy says, you know, I can't play, but um, maybe I could sell some of your apples in the city. And so the tree says, take my apples. They're yours. And the boy comes back some time later, and, and he says to the tree, he says, you know, I really want to build a house for my family. And so the tree says, well, I don't have any houses but you can take my limbs and my branches and you can go build a house for your family. And so then the boy's away for another long period of time and he, he finally comes back and, and the tree, every time the boy comes back, the tree is so excited to see him. And this time he says, um, you know, you can't swing on my branches. I don't have any apples. And the boy says, I really want a boat for my family so we can go sailing. And so the tree says, take my trunk. I'm made of wood. Go build your boat. And so the boy goes away, and, and at this time, the boy is away for a really long period of time. And, and when the boy finally comes back, he's an old man. And so it's been a long time, and I want to read you just a, a quick excerpt from this book. Um, the boy finally comes back, and he's an old man. I love the pictures. See, he's an old man. Um, but he comes back, and, and like I said, they've taken the trunk, so all the tree is is a, is a stump at this point, and that's it. And the tree says, my apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need much, said the boy, just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. And right there is where the tree tells the boy, he says, you know what? I, don't, I may not have anything else, but if you're tired, a stump sure is a great place to rest. And so finally, even though the tree has been taken all the way down from a tree to a stump, because he's there with the boy, the tree was happy. And the reason that I love this book so much is because it reminds me of our relationship with God. No matter how long we're gone away, no matter what we need, no matter what it is, God's always there for us. And, and thinking back through the scripture we looked, about, looked at back in Matthew is everything is centered around love. And so God loved us so much that, that he couldn't stand the thought of spending eternity without us. 
So, so what, does, what does God do? God demonstrates love. God sends the Son to this earth, and he says, you need a great example of love on earth. So God sends his Son here. And then love unites. Jesus came to earth to live as a man. When Jesus came here, you saw when the, when the Pharisees were questioning him, a lot of people didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah when he was here. They thought he was just another guy. And you see, the last series we did was called Jesus Was Weird. And in that series, we talked about how Jesus was supernatural and Jesus was, was otherworldly. And he, he spoke in a way that, that people just hadn't heard before, but they knew that it just had to be true. And so and when, by God sending Jesus, God said, you need this example of love. And Jesus is, is the best example that I can give you. And finally, love gives. Jesus loved us so much. Like I said, God sent Jesus so he could die on the cross for our sins, so we could spend eternity with him. And Jesus loves us so much that he freely gave his own life so we can be with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the love that you demonstrate through us through your word. And I thank you for the love that you demonstrate for us every single day. God, I pray that you will be with us in our relationships, God, that, that we'll remember that we cannot manage without love. And if we'll follow the God that your son has given us to love people, that we'll have stronger relationships. And God, I pray now if there's, there's anyone here that, that heard this message and they said, you know, God, this, this sounds great, but I don't even know if I believe in God, and I sure don't have a relationship with him. God, I pray that right now you just begin to work in their heart, and, and God, I pray that you would just have them come into a saving knowledge of your, your love, Lord. And God, I just pray that um, you'll just be with us this week. Help us to work on our relationships. Help us to show people love. And help us to just grow into a deeper love with you, Lord. These things I ask in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.